ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय श्रीमद भगवद गीता हरे कृष्ण एज इट इज चैप्टर सेवनटीन टेक्स्ट वन ट्रांसलेशन एंड कॉमेंट्री बाई हिज डिवाइन ग्रेस ए सी भक्ति वेदांत स्वर्ण प्रोपाट यू कॉट दैट ओके अर्जुन उवाच ये शास्त्र विधि मुत्सृज यजंते श्रद्धया अर्जुन इंक्वायर्ड ओ कृष्ण वॉट इज दिचुएशन ऑफ दोस्ट हू डू नॉट फॉलो द प्रिंसिपल्स ऑफ स्क्रिप्चर बट वर्शिप अकॉर्डिंग टू देयर ओन इमेजिनेशन आर दे इन गुडनेस इन पैशन और इन इग्नोरेंस What is the situation of someone who comes to hear a lecture in the temple but doesn't turn off their cell phone? Are they in goodness, passion or ignorance? I'd rather not ask answer that question. I'll just instead ask you to please turn off your cell phone. Otherwise, if it goes off in the middle of the class, I might manifest some rajagun or tamagun. Purport in the fourth <coughs> chapter, thirty-ninth verse, it is said that a person faithful to a particular type of worship gradually becomes elevated to the stage of knowledge and attains the highest perfectional stage of peace and prosperity. In the sixteenth chapter, it is concluded that one who does not follow the principles laid down in the scriptures is called an asura demon, and one who follows the scriptural injunctions faithfully is called a deva or demigod. Now if one with faith follows some rules which are not mentioned in the scriptural injunctions what is his position this doubt of arjuna's is to be cleared by krishna are those who create some sort of god by selecting a human being and placing their faith in him worshiping to sorry worshiping in goodness passion or ignorance do such persons attain the perfectional stage of life Is it possible for them to be situated in real knowledge and elevate themselves to the highest perfectional stage? Do those who do not follow the rules and regulations of the scriptures, but who have faith in something and worship gods and demigods and men, attain success in their effort? Arjuna is putting these questions to Krishna. At the end of the sixteenth chapter, Lord Krishna stated. Ya shastra vidhi mutsrija is the first line of the verses almost the same as well it's in the singular whereas the first line of this verse is in the plural Ya shastra vidhi mutsrija vartate kama karataha nasasidhim abapnati nasukam naparam gatim one who does not follow scriptural injunctions but acts according to his own whim attains neither perfection 
nor happiness, nor the supreme destination. And in the 16th chapter, it has been shown that those who follow scripture, they are called deva, or godly, they are considered good. Those who do, not only in the 16th chapter, but throughout the Bhagavad Gita, and in the 16th chapter, it's made very clear that those who do not follow scripture, they are called asura, they are bad people. Uh, In response, Arjuna is expressing the doubt, which is uh, inherent or implied in the verse which we have just read today. Krishna is inciting Arjuna to fight on the, by citing Shastra. So it seems to Arjuna that sometimes following Shastra can be very bad. Arjuna said, I, I don't want to fight. Arjuna wanted to be very good. But Krishna said, no, you have to follow the Shastra. You have to follow your Dharma. Fight. So it seems to Arjuna that following Shastra is not necessarily always good. On the other hand, you may see some very good people who don't follow Shastra. This is the doubt implied in this question of Arjuna's. Uh, It's not only, that doubt is not only uh, appropriate to Arjuna's situation, but it goes on in the world all the time. Uh, In Christianity, of course, the central figure is Jesus, who was famously crucified. The reason for his being crucified was he became a uh, political nuisance by speaking out against religious hypocrisy. Wherever there is religion, there is hypocrisy. People who show themselves as being very good, but they... Uh, actually, they have another motive. There were, at the time of Jesus, there were priests who showed themselves as very pious, but actually they were very proud and not actually very religious and not very concerned for other people. And Jesus, he didn't like that. So wherever there is religion, there is hypocrisy. That doesn't mean that all religion is hypocrisy. Pujari, please ring the bell quietly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, on the other hand, it may seem that some people who don't follow scripture, they're, they're actually very good. For instance, it came to my attention some time ago that uh, someone, a devotee within ISKCON, had made the statement that the Brahma Kumaris, they're not so bad because shouldn't criticize them too much because they do some good things like promoting vegetarianism so how are we going to analyze this statement are they good or bad or mixed we have to understand from Shastra the very question of Arjuna is uh, can can only be answered from this from the basis of Shastra the, the answer, if Arjuna had thought about it a little more, the answer was already implied in his question. Because the whole discussion, yes, now cell phone has gone off. 
Please turn off your cell phones. So the whole discussion of Bhagavad Gita is on the basis of Shastra. And you may think that's a strange statement because Bhagavad Gita itself is Shastra. And what Krishna says, because he is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, that is automatically Shastra. But actually in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is giving he's, uh, the, the essence of all the Shastras. Therefore, Gita is called Gitopanisha. Everything that Krishna states in Bhagavad Gita is found elsewhere in Shastra. The brilliance of Bhagavad Gita is that all the essence of Shastra is brought together in one short treatise and everything is made clear. Please come and sit inside. You can all come and sit. Make some space, please. Would you like to come inside? Baby's crying, is it? Like to come inside? Make space, please. There's plenty of space. Just have to squeeze up a bit. So, uh, the very fact that people don't follow Shastra means they're already outside the basis of any, they have no basis of any authority. So, how can we say that it's good if it's outside the authority of Shastra? Yeah, look, turn that light off. There's no need for a light to be on at 12 o'clock midday. It's called wasting money. Of course, maybe the light switch and the fan are put together. It's it's common. So, yeah, uh, what is good and what is bad? And unless we follow the Shastric understanding, then it's just... uh, up to different people's whims, what they consider good and what they consider bad. And then it just comes down to people's desires, as Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita. That karma kara taha, they act according to their own desire. So someone may think, well, this is a very good organization. They're promoting abortion. So that helps a lot of young girls who... uh, you know, they didn't want to get pregnant, but they did. But if we analyze from the perspective of Shastra, promoting, or, uh, promoting abortion is highly sinful. And promoting education, which uh, makes one materialistic, that's also sinful. So everything has to be judged from the basis of Shastra. What is right and what is wrong doesn't depend on anyone's opinion except one person's opinion, and that, that person is Krishna. Krishna tells us what is right and wrong through the medium of Shastra. So getting back to that example of uh, Brahma Kumaris, now I'm just using this as an example. I don't have anything in particular against Brahma Kumaris. There are so many nonsense groups in the world and I'm just using Brahma Kumaris as an example. So uh, they're promoting vegetarianism. So we can say that is good. That is better than if they promoted meat-eating. So we can say in that aspect, that is something maybe good. On the other hand, uh, they do teach a lot of nonsense. On the other hand, they do teach a lot of nonsense. Uh, They don't have faith in the Shastra. They've made up their own ideas. They don't believe that Krishna spoke the Bhagavad Gita. With, with no basis, for no, no reasoning behind this. Just, just uh, some wild 
speculation, with, with not supported by any uh, spiritual authority. So the ultimate result of following that, uh, what for want of a better word, is called philosophy, is uh, that one will become offensive toward Krishna, toward Shastra, and will go to hell. So apart from following all the things that Brahma Kumaris teach, if one also eats meat, then uh, that's worse, but it's, it's bad enough as it is. It's something just like if uh, there's someone who has uh, the bad habit of murdering children. Now, everyone has some bad habits, isn't yes. it? Is it? Can anyone say they don't have any bad habits? So if someone has the bad habit of killing children, and you say, well, you know, everyone's got some bad habits. Someone picks his nose. Someone uh, leaves the light on at midday. Someone comes to the temple and doesn't turn off the cell phone during the Upanyasam. So these are all bad habits. So if we say that, well, someone kills children, it's just another bad habit. Well, it's not in the same gradation, is it? And it's an imbalanced perspective to say that, well, someone picks his nose and someone kills children and they're both bad habits, so why, why make a big thing? Why, why say that it's so bad to kill children? So it's a matter of understanding things in proper perspective. Just like a man who kills children, or a woman who kills children, we don't want to be discriminate against the women here, Men, women can do it also, um, they may, first of all, give a sweet to the child. And then the child thinks, oh, very nice. And that person takes the child to a quiet place and kills it. So in the court case, the defense attorney may plead, well, it's true he killed the children, but he gave them a sweet, you see. You can't say he's all bad. Someone who gives sweets to children is a nice person, isn't it? Generally, yes. But if after giving them a sweet, they kill them, the killing is... Uh, the, the badness of the killing far outweighs the goodness of giving the sweet. So in the same way, we may say that, well, someone who promotes vegetarianism is, is good, but then if they teach you a bunch of hogwash that sends you to hell, then how is it good? So there may be something apparently good in everyone. Probably the most famous demon of the 20th century was uh, a man called Adolf, who lived in Germany. Ad Adolf, Herr Hitler, Mr. Hitler. So uh, Hitler was a very bad man. If anyone knows anything about 20th century history, they should know that Hitler was a very bad man. Well, Hitler was also a vegetarian. So you can't say he was all bad. See, he didn't kill the animals. He just killed people. And he also had his girlfriend. He like, must have liked her, must have treated her nicely, right? For those of you who are interested, her name was Eva Braun. There's a piece of useless information for you. Eva Braun. Eva Braun. She loved him so much that when Berlin was being invaded on all sides by the Russians, Americans, and British, and he shot himself, 
she also shot herself. So it was true love. Up until, up until the last bullet, she faithfully followed him to hell. And they both lived happily ever after. They must be, probably still be there somewhere in Yamaloka. Yes, would those standing outside like to come inside, in which case all of you have to move in a bit. Please move in considerably. More, more, more. All right. Then uh, if, if they come around here, there'll be more space at the, at the back. You have to tell them in Tamil, I think. So it's the same thing. If we try to make a case that actually Hitler was a good man because he was a vegetarian and he was probably quite nice to Eva Braun, um, that would be a, a, gross, a grossly imbalanced perspective. We have to see the overall picture. And we have to see it through the eye of Scripture. Because things are not what they seem to be. What we may think is good might not be good. What we think might be true might not be true. Therefore, we have to understand through Shastra. Yeah, not every, everything is not what it may seem to be. Just like Krishna's first teaching in Bhagavad Gita seems to be the most stupid and ridiculous thing that anyone could ever say. What's Krishna's first teaching? Never was there a time when I did not exist, nor you, Arjuna, nor all these kings present here on the battlefield. Well, that seems ridiculous. See, uh, if you go back 200 years, be, Krishna says there was never a time when we did not exist. If you go back 200 years, there was no Krishna, there was no Arjuna, there was no Bhishma, Shalya, Drona, Duryodhana, none of them. They didn't exist. And whether or not they're killed in the battle, after 100 years, again, there would be, there'd be no Bhishma, Drona, Pramukata, there'd be no, none of them would exist. They'd all be dead. So taken at face value, what Krishna said is nonsense. But, that's what Arjuna was thinking. And Krishna points out that actually what Arjuna is thinking is nonsense. And Krishna immediately goes on to explain, Dehino svinyata dehe komarang yovanangjara tata dehantara praptihi. The body changes from boyhood to youth to old age. And then there's death and a new attainment of a new body. So Arjuna was seeing only in terms of the body. And that's how everyone in the material world sees. That's why Krishna's statement didn't appear to make sense. But if we understand the Atma Tattva, the science of the soul, then it makes complete sense. And for Arjuna to lament on the basis of the body doesn't make any sense. That's the point that Krishna's making. Now, Arjuna uh, was a, we could say Arjuna was a good Hindu. Of course, the word Hindu hadn't come into existence at that time. But nowadays, uh, what we call a Hindu, Arjuna would have probably fitted into that category. And for that matter, so would also Duryodhana 
and all the Kauravas. Now, all Hindus, with a few exceptions like the Lingayats in Karnataka, they, they believe in reincarnation, right? That's part of being a Hindu, right? Everyone believes that when you die, you get born again. And in Buddhism also. So everyone knows that. But they don't know it. Krishna taught Arjuna how the soul is different from the body and the soul travels from body to body to body. Now as a good Hindu, Arjuna already knew that. But he didn't really understand it. It's just a kind of blind belief for most people without any proper understanding of its relevance and application. They never really think about what it means and how it affects their life. Recently I saw, actually yesterday I saw in a magazine a statement that if people accepted reincarnation then there'd be no more religious terrorism and religious fanaticism. People understand that we're going from body... The idea is that if we understand that, well, in one life we might be born in a Christian family, another life in a Muslim family, another life in a Hindu family, another life in a dog family or a cat family, then there's no need to fight over religion. But we see that uh, until recently there was a big war going on in Sri Lanka between Hindus and Buddhists, both of whom believe in reincarnation. So they believed in it as just because... They were brought up like that, but they didn't have any practical, real, any realization of its practical application and relevance. So uh, Krishna didn't want Arjuna just to be a good Hindu. Krishna wanted Arjuna to understand the science of self-realization. And therefore, in Bhagavad Gita, the repeated theme is of how uh, the soul is different from the body, and the soul is migrating from body to body. And uh, Arjuna's question that we're quoting the verse from today is uh, intimately connected with this discussion. Because according to one's kind of shraddha, his faith, whether in sattva, goodness, raja, passion, or tama, ignorance, uh, one attains his next destination. Urdhvanga chanti sattva sta, those in the mode of goodness, go upward. Madhyetishtanti rajasaha. Those in passion, they remain in the middle stage. And jaghanya guna vrittisto adhoga chanti tamasa. Those in the abominable tamagun, they uh, descend into the lower level. Now, it may seem that someone is acting in goodness, for instance, by promoting vegetarianism. But being a vegetarian is not enough to save one from going to hell. One may be a vegetarian, but his understanding may be tamasic. To deny the authenticity of the Vedic scriptures is tamasic. It's based on uh, extreme dvesha, or bad feeling, hatred toward Krishna. So the basic situation of someone who doesn't follow the scripture, is the answer to Arjuna's question in a nutshell, is tamasic. And even though they may have some 
sattvic traces, their basic mode is tamasic. Therefore, everything is to be understood according to Shastra. Where's that verse? Now, uh, different people who read Shastra, they come to different conclusions. Get that? Bayogandha Nivasya. Different people who read Shastra, they also come to different conclusions. So it's not only that we have to follow Shastra, but we have to follow it properly. Ya Shastra Vidhi Mutsrija Bhartate Kamakarataha. Krishna refers to those who uh, reject Scripture, reject Shastra, and act according to their own whim. But there are also people who accept Shastra, but still act largely according to their whim. For instance, within Shastra, there are prescriptions for eating meat. It is allowed under certain circumstances. <clears throat> it is stated that one can offer a goat or a similar animal to Kali on Amavasya night. Now, that is, that is an allowance within the Shastra. It is not meant to encourage meat-eating, but it is meant to regulate it. Because certain people, uh, they have the very strong, de sinful desire to eat meat. And if you put in, if you make scripture that says no meat-eating, they won't like to accept that scripture. So meat-eating is an allowance for sinful people. It's allowed within Shastra, but only once a month. There's some restriction. So people have the desire to eat meat and they're determined to act according to that desire. But if they accept the Shastric restriction, that means that just the very fact that they accept Shastra means that there's an admixture of Sattvagun, there's an admixture of theism, they've made some progress. That is a better position than those who completely reject Shastra and act according to their will. Better than that is to act according to one's whim, but with some guidance and restriction from Shastra. But then a problem comes that people who have their own idea, their own whimsical idea, they take these lower injunctions of Shastra to be the essence of Shastra. Basically everyone is in this material world with the idea to uh, enjoy this material world and forget Krishna. And they do so in various ways, with various conceptions and various philosophical outlooks. And that's why there are so many different paths within Shastra. That's why people say, sometimes they think Hinduism is very confusing. So many different things there. Whereas Christianity is very easy. You just, you go to church on Sunday, you believe in Jesus, you come home, eat some meat, and then you go to heaven. No thinking required or desired. You just have to wash yourself in the blood of Jesus, which sounds rather horrible, but that's what they say. But the Vedic system is more sophisticated. And there are different injunctions for people at different levels. Actually, the only real Vedic injunction is sarvadhaman parityaja mamekam sharanam raja, surrender completely to Krishna. But for those who are of demoniac mentality, which means more or less everyone in this material world, there are allowances. There are, 
allowances to act according to their various desires. And people have various desires which they carry from birth to birth. When we're born, we're not, the child who is born is not exactly a blank slate. Sometimes we think children are very innocent. But in course of time, as they grow older, their various desires manifest. You know, probably, probably Hitler was a nice baby also. <laughs> now there's a case for abortion. If you knew that this baby was going to turn out as Hitler, should we abort that baby or not? Interesting question. We find in Mahabharata that Vidur advised Dhritarashtra to kill this baby, Duryodhana. Don't let him live. How could a great saintly person advise killing a child, an innocent child? Mm -mm -mm, not innocent. The badness is just about to manifest. It's carried on from a previous life. What's that verse? Vayogandha nivashayat. We carry one's different conceptions of life. Hmm? Yeah, it's in the... I wanted to quote... Shariram Yadavapnoti Yachat what is it? Yadchat That's a long word that comes in the next one. Yadchat Yudkramatishvarha Grihit Vaitani Sangyati Vayor Gandhan Ivashayat. This is more than the Hindu belief in reincarnation. This is the science of reincarnation. Just as the air carries various smells. You can't see how the smell of jasmine at night is going from the tree to your nose. It's very subtle. Or the drain may be a hundred meters away. You may not be able to see it, but the smell is so strong and bad. You can't see it, the drain, but subtly the smell is carried from the drain to your nose. So in the same way, in a very subtle manner, the conceptions that we have in one life is carried to another. So our various likes and dislikes, inclinations and reservations, they're, they're carried at death in the subtle body to the next body. And therefore, when someone sees Sarvadhaman Paritajamame Kam Sharanam Raja, if he's a devotee from the previous life, you'll think, yes, this is right. This is what I must do. I must surrender to Krishna. And someone else will hear that and think, well, that's too extreme. I, I can't accept that. Someone else hears that oh, you can kill an animal on every Amavasya and eat the meat. And say, oh, that's very good. That sounds like, that must be the real essence of life. So in this way, in, uh, this way one may be bewildered. And if, if uh, one is following the injunction to eat meat only once a month, but then you might start to think, well, why only once a month? If it's got on Amavasya, then why not on Purnima also? What about Pratipat, Vitiya, Chuti? Every day, why not? I think there's some advertisement like that now. Why only on, why only on Sunday? Eat meat every day. I heard there's some advertisement like this. So then you think, well, no need to follow Shastra at all. Actually, Shastra is full of restrictions. But in the modern age, people don't like restrictions. They say, that's old-fashioned. You should just do what you like. Be natural. 
This is demoniac according to Bhagavad Gita. Just do what you like without any endeavor to raise the consciousness. This is animal life. So people like a religious process in which there's no restrictions. But if there's no restrictions, then there's no religion. And then even within the practice of religion, one has to understand everything according to Shastra, which means according to Krishna's perspective, not one's own perspective. One made the tendency to take things out of con the tendency is to take things out of context. To emphasize a minor point and make it a major point and underemphasize the major point. So one may say, oh, this group is very good. They're promoting vegetarianism along with their totally bogus philosophy. So how to understand what is actually correct? Well, we have to see what Krishna says. Then everyone will say, yes, yes, we're quoting Shastra. We're quoting what Krishna says. If one is fortunate enough to come in contact with tattvavits, one who knows the facts as they are, and follow what that tattvavit says, then the path will be very easy and straightforward. Easy and straightforward means it becomes easy to understand what is one's duty. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. Arjuna was confused, but when he understood and accepted what Krishna taught him, then he became very clear. Everything became easy to understand. It didn't mean that everything became easy. He still had to fight. That was the difficult thing that he wanted to avoid. So accepting Krishna's directions doesn't mean that everything becomes very easy. There will always be difficulties in this world. Krishna teaches us to face those difficulties taking direction from himself, from Krishna. That is the only way to ultimately cross over all difficulties. Otherwise, one is caught in the world of imagination. What I think is nice. Thus one is caught in the modes of material nature and has to be born and die again and again. So all these points from Bhagavad Gita should be understood very carefully. It may not just be a matter of... It may be more than just reading Bhagavad Gita. Most people are too lazy or they have no interest in, in reading Bhagavad Gita. But for those who do read Bhagavad Gita, they also have to read Bhagavad Gita as it is from a proper source and try to understand it going beyond their own desires, which will distort the proper understanding. The tendency to distort the actual message is prominent in this material world. If anyone is actually interested to understand Bhagavad Gita, they can very easily make their life perfect. But the tendency to distort and change and accept a minor point as a major point and vice versa, they are very prominent. So we have to go beyond this and understand that the Shastric injunctions, they are for our ultimate good, even if it may not appear at face value to be so. And that someone who acts without reference to Shastra, even though they may appear to be very good, that it's only appearing to be good because we don't actually understand what good means. Okay, is there any question, please? Yeah, you can give him the mic. Hmm? It's got loose motions? Loose connections. Yeah. You have a question online. Okay, speak your question. 
understand what exactly. Could you make your question more clear? People who follow Karma Kanda, they follow the injunction of the scriptures. Yeah, they follow certain injunctions with a misunderstanding. Yeah, to follow Karma Kanda means already they have a misunderstanding. So they're following. That's another case. They're, yeah, they're following, but they didn't understand the proper essence. The essence they, in Karma Kanda, the idea is to perform pious activities with the uh, prospect of re- receiving opportunities for material enjoyment in reward. But that's not the actual message of Shastra. That's there in Shastra. To uh, entice materialistic people to follow the injunctions of Shastra. But that's not the ultimate aim of Shastra, to, to convert people from sinful sense enjoyers to pious sense enjoyers. That's not the ultimate purpose of Shastra. Yeah, so there's a question here. Yeah, what's your question? What's the question? Who's the question from? How to how to encourage people who like to follow scripture and who want to develop a sense of seeing through the eyes of Shastra. Question from Gopala Acharya Das in Ireland, is it? Well, if people actually want to follow through the eyes of Shastra, you don't have to encourage them. They'll be thirsty to understand. It means people who are thirsty to understand the truth. Srila Prabhupada writes in his Bhagavatam commentary, I believe it's that verse, the verse, Karma Sya Nindriya Pritya, that one should not desire sense gratification. One should live only for the sake of understanding the truth, that People, people who are, are searching for the truth, there's no question for sin. They're not attracted to sense gratification because they're so uh, eager to find out the truth. Unfortunately, such people are very few. Most of our lectures are to try to get people to uh, take some interest in understanding the truth and to uh, address those who are supposed to be pursuing the truth to actually come to that path and remain on it very seriously. The real thing that we have to say, we very rarely get to say it because there's so few people who are are actually qualified or interested to hear it. But if there is someone who wants to understand through Scripture, then we'll be very happy to meet them. Okay. Please just turn your body around so you don't show your back to Krishna. Maharaj said that people were uh, encouraging about being vegetarian in different uh, sense, in different uh, groups. But uh, will it not lead them to a, a stage where they can accept Krishna consciousness after some time? Because Prabhupada, I used to, I read in the Prabhupada said that 
and if the person becomes a human being only by following all the four regulatory principles, if that is being propagated, then will they not have a chance to come to this even though they are in the wrong faith for some time? Well, this point is already addressed within the lecture. Can anyone think how? You'd have to have been listening carefully to, to get that. Anyone? Within the lecture I mentioned that um, being a vegetarian is a, a good quality. It's better to be a vegetarian than a meat eater, in ge generally speaking. But I said that if someone's a vegetarian, but at the same time they're cultivating dvish, I particularly use that word dvish, which means hatred toward Krishna, then uh, that bad quality far outweighs the good quality. I gave an example of Hitler, who was undoubtedly a very bad man, but he also happened to be a vegetarian. So imagine yourself in 1940 in uh, England making the proposal that, well, Hitler's a vegetarian, so let him go on invading different countries and killing people and torturing them. And you know, He's a vegetarian, so eventually he'll probably uh, reform himself. Is it a very good idea? As the Jews are being tortured and killed, they will say, well, never mind. One day he'll, uh, one day he'll become a good man. So again, I'll reiterate the point. The, the bad quality is so overwhelming and so strong that it totally overshadows the good quality. So it's not that simply by being a vegetarian that that, that in itself leads to proper understanding or to, or to Krishna consciousness. It's not that simply by being a vegetarian one will come to understanding of the truth. Arjuna was already a vegetarian, so Krishna could have said, well, you know, you just go on eating nuts and, and uh, vegetables and, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's okay, that's all you have to do. Arjuna could have handed out vegetarianism pamphlets <laughs> on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. He could have said to Duryodhana, hey, let's, let's make a vegetarianism campaign. Arjuna could have said, I'm not going to fight, I'm going to go and join Greenpeace. We should stop this battle. There'll be so much pollution, so much blood. Actually, blood's probably a good fertilizer. Na natural fertilizer. So maybe Arjuna could have encouraged. No, actually, this battle's very good. Krishna could have told Arjuna, you see, there'll be so much blood spilled and so many horses passing dung. So it'll be very good for the soil, you see. So similarly, this is a ridiculous proposal that because someone's a vegetarianism and they're propagating the most uh, reprehensible nonsense, enviousness of Krishna, and then uh, they'll just somehow or other become good. How is that? It's just a ridiculous proposition. Next question. How to develop taste in chanting? Try to understand this philosophy of Bhagavad Gita. Don't think that there's something independent from from chanting. Question, I mean, we're discussing important philosophical topics. That's also an important topic, but it's, not, it's off the topic that we're discussing today. Another question, slightly related to the topic. Even after practicing Krishna consciousness for years, still I'm not able to give up mental speculation. How to solve it? 
You haven't practiced Krishna consciousness for any years, let alone many years. Krishna consciousness begins with hearing. Shravanadi, Shuddha Chitte, Koriye Odoi. Krishna consciousness begins with giving up mental speculation. So the solution is to start practicing Krishna consciousness. The very question, how to solve it, it's, that's the mental speculator always trying to solve the problem. When we hear Bhagavad Gita, then we understand that I'm not capable of understanding anything by my own mental speculation. And that's the end of the mental speculation. Is from here? No. In Sarvadham. Is Sarvadhaman Parityajya means giving up your likes and dislikes and acting as per Krishna's instructions and desires. Then how should we see our job, family and obligations? Yes, Krishna conscious means acting according to Krishna's desire. How should we see our job, family and obli- job and family obligations? We should see them through the eye of Shastra as temporary and ultimately meaningless. But uh, according to our present level of conditioning, something that we uh, may have to go on with while cultivating Krishna consciousness. Everything in this world is temporary and meaningless, but everyone has to do something. And as suddenly changing from one situation to another doesn't make, doesn't uh, change the nature of this world as being temporary and meaningless. Therefore, it's not recommended to do so. One's family life becomes meaningful when we engage along with our family members in Krishna Bhakti. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Want to introduce the books? This is the best book. Everyone should have this book. Not only have it, but read it. Many people have Bhagavad Gita and on their shelf. Some people have it in their puja room. The best place to have it is in front of our eyes and in our hearts. So please read Bhagavad Gita, Unmai Ur